0: You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you
1: make the right decisions. That's your Modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662 296 zero one eight six let's make a difference together hotty toddy and go rebs
0: get in touch with your agent today modern woodman of
1: america
2: touching lives securing futures you're listening to talk of champions an Home miss spirit podcast with ben garrett it's
3: up it's, time, it's, time, it's, time, it's time.
2: This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Brian Scott Rippey in the guest co-host chair at BS Rippy on the Twitters. He works for Super Talk. I work for the Ole Miss Spirit, OMSpirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports. Today's guest on Talk of Champions, Ole Miss freshman left-handed pitcher Doug Nikhazy. He's the man in Oxford right now. The man on this podcast right now is Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, buddy. What's up? How you doing? Making it, man. How are you? I'm all right. When are you going to Fayetteville?
1: Um, Friday, I, we have a remote radio broadcast in Greenville on Thursday. So I'm driving all the way to the Mississippi river for reasons. I don't know why driving back to Oxford and then going to Fayetteville.
2: Wait, 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 wait. Why a remote in Greenville? What's in Greenville?
1: Uh, that's above my pay grade. It's something at Tupelo, or, excuse me, Greenville country club, some kind of remote. Uh, Like I, I, I don't exactly know what it is. I just show up so I can keep getting a paycheck. You know how that goes.
2: Do you get to play on the golf course?
1: I don't think so, but I might try anyway. Are
2: you going to play golf in Omaha if Ole Miss makes it?
1: I mean, yeah. I'm from, I wasn't around the last time they made it, and it sounds like if they, you know, barring going two and through, you're going to be there for quite a while. So I would I would chalk that up as a hard yes.
2: I'm kind of hurt that you and Chase Palmer are making all these plans to play golf everywhere Ole Miss goes, knowing I'm going to be there, but I'm not in y'all's class of golfer anymore. Screw so, you elites, man.
1: I'm actually just like the guy. So whatever he's got going on on his message board is like, yeah, I got a guy that can get us on this. We need a fourth. And I just kind of show up. And like they're always like kind of like, so who is this guy? And I just kind of introduce myself. Like, so you all work together? like, no, I'm just here to play free golf.
2: Is it fair to say that you can beat pretty much anybody on the Ole Miss beat golf? <laughs> I,
1: I don't know the answer to that. I heard Chuck's pretty good. Um, Do you beat so- Chase
2: every time you play him?
1: Yeah. I mean, it just depends. Like I don't play a ton of golf. I played a bunch of high school, but I don't play a ton of golf anymore. And so like I could have a really, really, really bad day and it get pretty ugly or I could play okay and be pretty good. So it really, I'm so erratic now. It just kind of depends.
2: I want to talk about the MLB draft, Jerry On Ely, a couple of things. Gonna to stick to the guys who went in the first seven, eight, nine, ten rounds, not really focus on the eleven through forty rounds, because there it becomes tricky as to whether or not they come back. I'm more focused on some other guys. Did anything surprise you about the Rebels that went in the first ten rounds?
1: Really, the one surprise I think was Cooper Johnson slipped further than I thought, six round pick of the Detroit Tigers. Um, I thought he would be a borderline end of day one, very early day two guy and six rounds, like nothing like catastrophic slipping, but I I thought he would go sooner. Um, Etheridge kind of went in the Ranger. I thought I was thinking like six to eight, maybe six to nine and he goes in the fifth. So I guess that's slightly earlier, but with him, like, I mean, he's got like a really good projectable frame and like his fastball translate well to the pro. So, I mean, I guess you're kind of taking him hoping one of those secondary pitches, you can kind of make elite level. Cause neither one of them are bad, but not great. So not a ton of surprises. They announced the, the brewers announced Deward as a catcher, which I found interesting. I, I, I do they know do that.
2: I knew whoever took him would do
1: that, but does he stick there? And I don't know the answer to that. Like, I don't know what he is at the next level. I'm not saying he can't catch, but he's caught so little here. Like I, it's, you really have no idea. So I I don't, I don't, it'll be interesting to see if that sticks. He's obviously going to ascend through the minors. If he hits, that's going to kind of gauge obviously kind of how he goes.
2: His profile is Austin Jackson. Austin Jackson was a first round pick of the Mariners. They put him in the outfield. They didn't think he could handle it defensively behind the plate. He was a disaster defensively in the outfield. He gets traded to the Braves. The Braves put him back at catcher. He's competent enough and actually does a pretty good job of framing. The bat played all through the minors. He struggled a little bit last year in AAA. Well, a lot in AAA. Got the call up this year. If Thomas Dealer can get some framing and stuff like that, that's how he can get to the majors because the bat will play. It's as far as can you find a defensive position. And the only one that makes sense outside of DH for him is catcher.
1: Yeah, but is is he good enough defensively, or can he get good enough defensively? Like, beyond framing and all that, like, pop time, just, like, I guess range of movement, I don't know. I'm not saying it's a no, I just don't, we haven't seen, I didn't watch it, obviously I didn't watch Dillard much in high school, we haven't seen enough in college for, to me, to know the answer to that. I do probably agree that I don't really see him as a corner outfield. I'll give them the kid credit, in college, from his freshman year to, like, junior year, he's gotten immensely better, but like I, I, I still don't necessarily see that at the pro level. I don't know about you.
2: I don't know if first base couldn't be a home for him eventually, but if he does have the arm to play a little bit behind catcher, at worst there, you have a serviceable replacement-level catcher that could be a spot starter, but the back can play. It's an NL team with the Brewers eventually the dh is coming to the nl hopefully thomas dillard will be there for him if he ever does make it to the majors um jerry on ealy slipped and everyone thought it was going to happen early in the draft i wrote about this sunday and monday guess no one on my board read it because they were surprised as this was happening but he didn't have a scout at his games for the last like month didn't have a good offensive year at in high school didn't have a lot of power stroke there right now he's coming to school and that's a big get do you think first of all that his impact over the long haul will be more in football or baseball. It seems pretty obvious at this point. It's football, right?
1: Yeah, no, I, I would say it's almost, it's 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 a no-brainer. The question I kind of posed when this happened on radio was when did this kind of start becoming a thing? Because I guess I remember hearing rumblings three-ish weeks before the draft, maybe that this was a possibility because his numbers had slipped and his draft stock had tumbled. And then really, like you just said, really kind of a week or two out, it became, okay, this is actually happening. But like... What, December, January, early February, it was the complete opposite. It's right, there's no way this kid's showing up on campus. I remember writing when it happened that it was like a lottery ticket.
2: Because at the time, he was a top 100 guy. Um, he hadn't played his senior season yet. He was so tools. He had a great junior year. But that senior year, offensively, he just didn't show anything for the new era of baseball, which is... Power and speed has been de-emphasized as far as just hitting the ball on the ground and getting on base. And he hasn't walked enough. The strikeout has been a little too high. There's just a lot of concern there and not a ton of upside currently. Now, do I think he could end up being a good player in college over time? Yes. Immediately, no. But by then, when he's supposed to be getting good at baseball making a decision, you figure that he's going to be the bell call running back. And if he holds to his ranking in recruiting, which was five-star, top 70 player, I can't remember then he's going to be a first two-round pick in the NFL draft.
1: Yeah, so I guess transitioning back to the original question you asked, it seems fairly obvious that it's football, but I am interested to see how baseball factors into this because you've seen guys in the past try to do it, and I can't really come up with any, uh, at least in the Mike Bianco era, at least since I've been like alive and conscious, that have had a ton of success with it. Like Cinquez Golson, I remember talking to him a couple years back for something, and he was saying how badly he struggled to balance the two because, I mean, particularly when you're adjusting to college and all that trying to play one sports hard enough Two is two can be, I imagine just an absolute grind. I mean, he was talking about how he was struggling to find time to eat in a given day and stuff like that. And so I wonder how, like, if, I wonder if baseball sticks, he seems a little more serious about sticking with baseball than Golson, at least in the initial indication. So like, what is he, I think it's fairly obvious. Like you just said, like football, he's going to make an immediate impact, I think, and, and have a much bigger impact. But what, What is a success for him? Like, what is Mike Bianco? If he gets blank out of him, it's a success over three years.
2: Oh gosh, a starter for a year? Yeah,
1: a starter for a year. And like, I would say for for it to be a win, he'd need to be pretty, pretty productive at the plate.
2: Yeah, pretty productive. At least give himself a decision. He's not going to Kyler Murray this, I don't think. I think Kyler had a little bit more upside. He might, but he hit what two seventy his senior year of high school. And for me, that's just not going to cut it. I don't care about the batting average, doesn't matter to me. But in high school, a little bit more, you should be hitting no less than three hundred. Quite frankly, you should be hitting like four thirty or something like that, something crazy. That's what you do when you're that caliber of prospect. Ben Garrett hitting two seventy as a senior in high school, that's great. Jerry on Ely, no, he can't be doing that. So but I look at this this uh, draft class for Ole Miss, and it couldn't have gone better for their signing class, from Dunhurst to Connor Walsh. It looks like they're going to get pretty much everybody on campus, and that's a big deal.
1: That is a big deal because that's going to be a good class. And Don't you think Dunhurst at least has a chance to be the starting catcher next year?
2: I think he I is mean, the starting catcher next year.
1: Yeah, because I, I think Lapasser is going to hit and be in the lineup, but I think it's at DH or he gets moved somewhere else. I, I agree with you. I think Dunhurst is the catcher. Um but yeah, to your point, like they, it couldn't have gone possibly any better. And I, I do wonder, cause these things are always so interesting about whether the kid gives any inkling that he wants to head to school or that he'll sign and like how badly that either encourages scouts or scares them off. And at least it seems like on the surface, most of the kids you thought had a chance to not show up on campus kind of maybe gave some kind of rumbling that they were headed there and kind of got scared off. Cause I mean, I found it odd that none of them at this point were even, like, drafted at all.
2: I was surprised, too. Connor Walsh, I think, was the most surprising. Hayden Dunhurst carried, I think, a third to fifth-round projection by Baseball America or MLB Pipeline. I can't remember which one it was. And the thought process, I was reading some evaluation scouting site that said that should be enough should he go in that projected range to get him away from his commitment to Ole Miss. And for him not to go at all... The word I got all day on Tuesday was that he's going to Ole Miss. His dad's telling people he's going to Ole Miss. He's going to Ole Miss. It was surprising though that he didn't get that high of a draft um, selection because this is a Under Armour All American, Perfect Game All American. He's legit. Connor Walsh is too. I think Connor Walsh might be their starting center fielder next year. And I know Josh Hall is there, and he probably gets the nod first. But Josh Hall can play left, right, center. Connor Walsh. I don't think that's a player you can take out of the lineup early he's he's the type of player you got to play and uh that outfield you can't put it together right now without connor Walsh.
1: and for the first time in quite a while maybe since the last omaha team it's probably a defensive defensively attractive outfield instead of just some bats you stick at the corner and kind of a good athlete in center to your point elko and left obviously not not ideal from a defensive standpoint hall's a good outfielder would be a good center fielder i think you could probably put wash in center field too but if that's your center and right fielder like that's 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 pretty salty there
2: yeah as long as they hit I don't know if Josh Hawkin can hit long term I believe more in Justin Bench than Josh Hall but Connor Walsh it's hard to ask true freshmen to come in and hit immediately Greg Kessinger Thomas Dillard they had the biggest rankings you could ever ask for from a kid coming in immediately to play, and they both struggled in their freshman years. Now, they took off as sophomores, but they took their lumps as freshmen. So, Connor, Washington well, you can't have this great expectation for the bat. But if he can bat ninth, and Knox Posser can be the DH, and Kevin Graham can be a bell cow, and Justin Bench takes a step, Anthony Servidio takes a step, then you can start to see it pieced together. You never love to have true freshmen, especially two, including Hayden Dunhurst behind the plate at catcher, but... They might not have a choice next year, and quite frankly, they might not need to score a ton of runs. They could be Texas A&M next year because they'll have two frontline starters. They're going to be able to stuff it against anybody.
1: Yeah, they're really going to pitch it. They honestly, and this appears less likely than maybe it once seemed, a gigantic break for that potential twenty. I guess it'd be twenty twenty team would be Zabowski coming back. I don't necessarily see it either. I think there's a chance though, but that would be I, I'd put it in the what twenty five ish. 30% range that he comes back, but that would be a huge break for them.
2: Yeah, I don't think he's coming back, and I'll tell you why. It does him no good to come back for a senior year, regardless of where he gets drafted. As a senior, he'll have no negotiating leverage. He has a little bit now. There's nowhere for Kolzabowski to go should he come back to school. So I think it's even it, lower. I think it's like 12% that he comes back. And it has nothing to do with him not wanting to play for Ole Miss in another year, but that's not it. Now, Ryan O'Linnick got drafted in the 17th and came back. So who knows? He might.
1: Piggybacking off of that, it, I mean, the only way for him to improve anything would have to be something absurd like that. Remember that Brent Rooker kid at State that just had the absurd year and actually helped himself out? But those cases for guys coming back junior to senior and hitting out of their mind and actually helping themselves to the point where the leverage doesn't matter is so rare. I mean, he would have to have a year out of his mind. So I, I tend to agree. But the fact there's a chance, like if, they, if something broke the right way, that would be a huge get for that 2020 team.
2: Oh, yeah, because it balances them out completely. Because at that point, you got Tyler Keenan, Cole Zabowski, and Kevin Graham in the middle of your lineup. It completely balances you out. Now you're a bat short unless somebody takes a step
1: yeah and you just you just need like a like you're saying you'd have to be someone that hit at the level Keenan hit as a freshman which you can't count on like if that happens it's just kind of a bonus Dillard and kessinger turned out to be really good college hitters but man that freshman year was was quite the struggle for both of them kessinger in particular so they've got some pieces next year if they can hit even a little bit they're going to they're going to really pitch it. So that team, I, I would say like a month ago, I was like, eh, I don't know. But after the way the draft has turned out,
2: they got a chance to be pretty good. They got a chance. And I didn't think that they'd be this fortunate with their recruiting class in this MLB draft. So, um, yeah, it, it was a good draft for them. Jerry Ealy, though, coming to school, it's the biggest development. It's a huge deal. And I'm not convinced he doesn't push Scotty Phillips immediately once he gets on campus and gets a little bit into the playbook enough to where they can scheme for him and give him at least a handful of plays.
1: Oh, I think he makes an impact next year. I, I think they find something for him because you think about that offensive line is going to struggle and probably struggle a lot at first. Like, can you not see Ely getting plays in space out of the backfield, particularly in the flats and stuff like that, to get the ball out of Corral's hands quickly. Like, oh, yeah. That's kind of what I envision when that happened. Cause I mean, he's a playmaker and that's an easy way to get it to him in space because I, I could be wrong about the offensive line. I think Jack Bignell is a good coach. But man, you are replacing a lot of experience elsewhere like that. That to me, if I like if I'm losing sleep, if I'm Matt Luke, like the defense, you know, it is going to kind of be what it is and slowly maybe get better. That offensive line would really worry me.
2: I think it'll be a little better than many want to give it credit for right now, only because a lot of those dudes have served their time. Like Royce Newman in any other year would have been starting somewhere last year. Ben Brown's a stud at right guard. Alex Givens is going to be the left tackle. Royce Newman will be the left guard eli johnson i don't think there's any doubt he's at least been still next year and then right tackle bryce matthews has to be good i think that's the biggest question mark i
1: think it's a depth thing is it not because like the last couple of years they've you know they've gone eight deep a lot and been fine like they've had like the javon patterson that's moved around or like the dorante bolden or guys or jordan sims you know what i mean like i think their front line guys are okay it's just if they get an injury or two that things can get pretty hairy.
2: Where the NCAA stuff zapped Ole Miss football is in its depth on both front lines, offense and defense. They don't have much of a two deep. And when you got walk-ons at backup center, backup defensive tackle, that's when you know it's dangerous. And I think Ole Miss has done a pretty good job of navigating in certain areas, like wide receiver, running back, quarterback, um, linebacker, better than you think. Now, the linebackers hadn't performed all that well, but those front lines... That's where the NCAA investigation just absolutely decimated their depth. The cupboard is bare in many respects in their two and three deep.
1: Yeah, because I remember there was a point last year when they they were really hurt. And I want to say maybe after the Arkansas game, maybe it was South Carolina. I don't remember exactly what game it was, but it was in that range where Chuck pointed out right before the game started that they were like playing I swear, I think he said they were playing with 59 scholarship players, which is just kind of wild to think about. The team start like suiting up for an SEC game has that many dudes on scholarship dressed out.
2: I'm fascinated to watch John Reese Plumley. He's going to try to do the two sport thing, and you've already detailed it better than I could even do it right now. It's hard to do that. You don't see many success stories, especially at Ole Miss, and yet this kid's going to try to do it. I don't know what kind of baseball player he is, but it's going to be hard for him not to, like Ely, stick in football once you see the money in front of you and if you perform as I think that kid can. He's as big a get outside of Ely as any player in the recruiting class as football goes. And whether it's at safety or quarterback in Rich Rod's system, assuming Rich Rod doesn't bolt after a year, the future for both Plumley and Ely is in football. And if you didn't hear your name called early in the MLB draft, which neither of them did, good luck trying to steer clear of the money if you do perform because that money is going to be a hell of a lot bigger than it could have been in baseball had you uh, gotten drafted now or even gotten drafted after college. It's just going to be hard to do that. But I think he can make a pretty good impact in college baseball, but balancing that is damn near impossible. Is he the backup quarterback next year? I don't know. Dent or Tisdale or Plumley. I think Plumley could start at safety.
1: Yeah. Cause they're missing. Like, I mean, they're, they're, they got to kind of find something back there. I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, you yeah, know, how he fits in is interesting. Cause I think he's probably a guy that in some way makes an impact next year. Cause I mean, you're an injury away from Corral. I know that's the cliche, but Ole Miss over the last half decade is probably learned that better than anybody. And they've been fortunate to have competent backups, but like, Man, can you imagine if Corral gets hurt next year in a game or has to miss two or three games? Like, what does that look like?
2: Here's the crazy thing about Corral. There's so much confidence in him, but we don't know what he is yet. In his limited time, he wasn't particularly accurate, and you don't expect him to be. He got thrown in there in the fire. But there's going to be some roller coaster to Matt Corral next year, and if all of your confidence on Ole Miss being a bowl-eligible team next year relies on Matt Corral being an all-league caliber performer – then you're already behind the eight ball. Cause that's just not going to happen in year one.
1: I think they could get to a bowl if he's competent to good, but if you're banking on him to carry your offense, like you just said, well, good luck. Cause you're probably going to be disappointed because it's hard. It's hard to get adjusted to that. And I, I, I really think the four game thing really helped Ole Miss to kind of transition to this because at least he's not a completely like new to it all. Like he's kind of dipped his toes into it, even though it's not great competition, but That at least helps some, and at least you've had some sample size. Like At least you know he can run okay and stuff like that. Yeah, that's going to be interesting because the problem this team is facing is there's not a whole lot of time for Vic. Okay, learn some hard lessons, kind of take your lumps. If they're going to get to a competent record, they got to win games in September immediately.
2: Yeah, he's got to beat Memphis. He's got to beat Arkansas in game two. You don't do those two games, it's going to be hard to get bowl eligible, and everybody – involved with this program I think by now knows they need to be bowl eligible next year otherwise the stove that is already lit is going to be engulfed in flames
1: yeah no it you're exactly right on that but like what is it like I think there's a way they go and this is going to sound crazy but I think there's a way they go four and eight and if it looks okay he might be fine but you can't go like three and nine, two and ten, and I hesitate to say even four and eight. Like he probably needs to go five and seven at worst. There's a chance it bottoms out, and that that could really, really make things interesting. Though I think he's done well with the coordinator hires. The defense, and this sounds stupid, but they're going to get lined up in the right spot, and they're going to tackle better, and they're probably going to do their assignments correctly more often. But just how much of a difference does that make? Because they're not benefiting from getting Southern Illinois and ULM in September this year. Like that's what's really, the schedule does not help this team at all.
2: I'm on record saying they're going to be bowl eligible next year. I hold to that. I think they're going to beat Vanderbilt at home. I think they're going to beat Memphis. I think they're going to beat Arkansas. And I think they're going to beat Seelaw. Then they got to find two more. They Cal's, lose to cow. Cal. Yeah, Cal's a swing game at home. Memphis is a, certainly a swing game. If it starts 0-1, it gets dicey and hairy really quick. But the whole Matt Luke and coaching change conversation is moot because who's going to fire him? Keith Carter ain't going to fire him. That's not going to happen. They're not going to have a chance. hired by that time. They might have it by December and then maybe. I think Matt Luke's got next year and the year after that, no matter what, but you're right. If it does bottom out, there is the possibility of that. You can't dismiss it. It's not like this team has a high floor. This team has a low floor, and if it hits that low floor, whoever it is that's making decisions at Ole Miss by that point, they're going to have a lot of pressure on them from a lot of outside sources to do something.
1: Well, you're exactly right on that, and I think – what bottoming out in 2019 does is, to your point, he's not getting fired in 2019 because there's no one to do it. Like you said, Keith Carter is not making a football coaching change. It's not happening. But what it will do is if they're bad in 2019 and it looks bleak, 2020 is just kind of the prelude to a – I don't want to call it like a funeral because one died. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, if they bought him out in 2019, they get a new guy in there and everything looks bleak, 2020 is really just a mere formality, and and he probably goes at the end of the year. The new guy is going to want his guy in there. So while Matt Luke probably – he definitely gets 2019 and 2020, if 2020 is not just a complete 180, and it might not even matter at that point. I mean, think about it. If he sucks in 2019 and they're still, like, scrappy to competitive in 2020, that still couldn't be enough. The new guy might want his coach, right?
2: It's not his coach that he – Hired in Matt Luke. It's a fresh, clean slate for him. Wipe it clean. I still, again, am on record saying I think they're going six and six. We'll see. I could be wrong. Last year's team had no business whatsoever going five and seven, and they were. Which of these freshmen in the 2019 baseball class do you think will have the Doug Nickasey impact? Dunhurst because they need a catcher. I was going to go him or Connor Walsh.
1: Con- Both of those are fair. I what I think w- Walsh plays the outfield. Like, I was thinking about this the other day. I think Bench is going to be a good player, but is there any scenario where Bench regresses and Walsh plays second base?
2: I think Mike really loves Justin Bench, and he's going to give him every opportunity to to go out there and perform. <laughs> Mike, he,
1: Mike does love Justin Bench. Mike yeah. really likes Justin Bench. But at a certain point, if you... I'm not saying the kid's going to regress. I'm just saying I've seen stuff happen before. If he Elko's it or something, he mid-March is is Connor Walsh the second baseman. I think it's possible. Not likely, but possible.
2: What if Tim Elko doesn't hit again? Oh,
1: God, I, I don't know. They, they, he's he got to hit. I mean, for that kid's sake, he has to hit.
2: And for this team's sake next year, he has to hit. He's an important piece. He's a dude you could potentially hit second or fifth.
1: Well, the second biggest storyline – I mean, there's a chance this year. Like, the second biggest storyline coming out of this weekend, other than Doug just kind of being a dude, is Elko. I mean, if he continues to hit like that, and if he actually kind of gets to a competent level – that's a game changer. Like, it's too small of a sample size to know whether he's actually doing that or it was just Jacksonville State pitching. That could potentially be huge for this team if they get past next weekend.
2: Doug Nikhazy's going to go on Sunday because the three-game series between Ole Miss and Arkansas for a shot and spot in Omaha starts on Saturday. I'm heading down Friday. So is Brian Scott Rippey, Doug Nikhazy, and the Ole Miss baseball team are going down a heck of a lot earlier. He's going to come on right now on the Cheney's Pharmacy phone line. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, Talk of Champions and iTunes. We're also available on SoundCloud. Just simply search Talk of Champions. Working to get it on Spotify and other platforms. The podcast brought to you by Thomas Chandler, your modern Woodman representative. It wasn't so long ago. I'm talking a couple of months where financially I needed some help. Not that I was struggling, but getting my finances in order, organizing my money so that I'm in the best position for retirement, preparing for college for my kids and everything else. I'm sure most every one of you can relate. And that's why you should do like me and contact Thomas Chandler today. He's your local Modern Woodman representative, and he'll get you right for retirement or savings or whatever you need. He's done it for me. He'll do it for you. What does Modern Woodman do, though, you might ask? Financial security for you and your family through life insurance, financial planning, and financial services, quality family life through member benefits and local fraternal activities, and community impact through volunteer projects that make a difference where members live, work, and play. It's time to get rid of your financial burden. Contact Thomas Chandler, 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. Or you can check them out at www.modernwoodman.org. www.modernwoodman.org. That's Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. The podcast is also brought to you by Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. The car buying process can be overwhelming. Believe me, I've been there recently. And you're just looking to get the best deal. And if that's the case, to avoid the headache, head on over to Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. They're going to take care of you and get you into your next vehicle with a great deal. Their inventory is priced to sell right now. So you, the consumer, need to make sure you're taking advantage of all the deals available to you from Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. And what separates Alan Samuels is Brian and Mason and the rest of the staff aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Tell them talk a champion sent you. They're hardcore Ole Miss fans, and they'll want to talk some Ole Miss baseball, basketball, football coming up in the fall, and of course, Ole Miss football and basketball recruiting. But above all else, they'll want to make the process as seamless as possible and get you what you want at a good price. Contact them today at 662-234 eight thousand six six two two three four eight thousand stop by and see them at 2201 east university avenue in oxford today that's just past kroger alan samuels chrysler dodge jeep ram of oxford find your next perfect car truck or jeep alan samuels let's be friends joining me now on the Chinese pharmacy phone line is doug nikesey old miss freshman left-hander kind of the guy in oxford right now doug you feeling that you feeling like your star is rising in oxford right now <laughs>
3: Uh, no, I mean I just kind of I just kind of fell into a really important role for us, and I'm really ha- I mean I'm really happy for the team and how we're playing. But overall, it's, been, it's just been a really good year for us.
2: Got to look back to Saturday. It's such an important game. You go in there, stuff it for eight innings against Clemson, win the game six to one. What was that day like for you? The build up to that day. What was your routine? Did you follow the normal routine? Did you feel the butterflies? What was it like for you leading up to that start?
3: Yeah, uh, I just try to stay in my normal routine. I try to do the same exact thing I do every single time when I pitch. Um, I know that there's um, a couple times throughout the week that I like kind of got my my head stuck on what was about to happen and very first postseason pitching appearance. But uh, I just you just gotta like try to deflect all those thoughts and just try and focus on. You just gotta be Clemson. You just gotta execute pitches. Coach B is gonna worry about everything. You just gotta execute the pitches he calls. That's all fine and dandy,
2: Doug. But when you walk out to the mound and there's ten thousand fans out there, you gotta feel it a little bit in your stomach, right?
3: Oh, oh, for sure. I mean, it's it's a lot it's a lot different when you have the ten thousand fans cheering for you. But um, when like they when they were giving me the standing ovation right before the uh, seven right before the last out of the seventh inning, uh, just full full on butterflies. I was kind of floating for about five seconds. Kind of I looked up at the stands and everyone was standing, and I just kind of sort of blushed and had to refocus after that but yeah you you feel it 100 percent
2: one of the coolest moments I think I've seen in a couple years covering Owens Baseball is when you run out for the ninth you tried to finish it It was going to be a tall order man your pitch count had gotten pretty high at that point but you sprint out to the mound and the fans erupt it was like when a wrestler walks out and he gets that pop from the crowd and I was like oh god these people are all in on Doug Mania here did you feel that on the mound
3: yeah. That was the best feeling ever. I, I, when we were sitting in the dugout, um, I had a couple of the players come up to me that instinctively thought hundred plus pitches coming off of the eighth inning, they were giving me high fives, saying good job. And I and I kind of sat down and thought, Oh, well there, there's there, I might have a chance at the ninth. And then coach B walks over to me and says, Hey, do you got enough in the tank for the ninth? I think you're the best chance for us to get three outs right here. And I go, yes, sir. And, um, when I can't, and then when I kind of strolled out from the ninth, and I heard that everyone else was hoping I was going to be out there too, It was a really good feeling.
2: It's interesting to follow your path to Ole Miss. You're from Florida. You got a pretty cool story that we'll get into. What was that recruitment like for you? Did you decide between Ole Miss and Florida? Was it close?
3: Uh, it wasn't so much between uh, uh, Flo- the University of Florida and Ole Miss. It was. It was more between uh, Florida State and Ole Miss. I, was, Ooh. I had a few more pitching I had a few more pitching connections there I had a lot of buddies that were looking into going there but I was also recruited at like at a young age I was I was going into my senior year at this at this point and I was still. And at that point you really don't know what you wanted but I instinctively when I came on campus here it was a really different feeling for me I know coach Lafferty and coach B were extremely down to earth and they they made me feel a lot more special than any other place I had really been in Oxford as a town just It really felt like a place that I wanted to be for a long time. And I just didn't really get that feeling from all the other schools. Yeah,
2: because Tallahassee, it's a big place. And Oxford, quite quaint. And, And I know you like to have that laid back atmosphere around you to be able to skateboard and do the things you enjoy doing without getting overcome by some things. So I would assume that the Oxford quaintness was something you bought into pretty quickly.
3: Oh, extremely. Just being, like, having a large family, being able to come up here and knowing everybody. I didn't really get that from um, Tallahassee. It was just such a, it was like a, it was a really big town, and um, there was a whole lot going on, and it just felt like I was one of a thousand there, and it it was some, it was just something different when I got here. I, I knew that it was, it was really just something different. Looking at the stadium, knowing that we have one of the highest average attendance rates in the country, and that was a really important thing for me too. Was, was knowing that I was going to be able to like people were going to be able to see and notice what was going on, and not just not just only the baseball community, but people that live in the area as well. Because there's so much to be there's so much to do in Tallahassee and throughout Florida, really.
2: You're a two way player. Did you ever think going into your recruitment that you were going to be an outfielder, infielder, wherever you ended up playing, or was pitching? When did it become the focus? I guess.
3: Um, pitching really became the focus for me around my senior year. Cause, um, I remember I had a really good offensive year, my junior year of high school. And then my senior, year I sort of slumped a little bit, but, um, I knew that coming into the season, I knew that, um, I saw the draft. I saw that Rawlinson and a few other, like a few key arms for us were leaving. And I knew that there was going to be a really big opportunity for me to step up. And, um, I didn't really neglect hitting, but I knew that there there's no really ch- there's no chance to be getting in there with all the guys that are playing right now and are getting drafted by the moment right now. So I knew there wasn't really a big shot for me to get in there at least this year. But I knew that there was a, a role to be filled on the on the rotation that was something that I really focused on like my senior year.
2: Did you campaign five at all this year to get one swing in in a game?
3: <laughs> I campaigned. Um, I didn't really, I knew once I got into the ro- the weekend rotation, I think coach B t- got w- much more careful with me. I used to take BP just about every single day before the season started. And uh, after my week, after my start against, what was it? Missouri. Um, he took me out of B- the BP lineup and I stopped hitting and I And I don't think this, the, the dreams are done for me yet. I'm still going to go hit this summer and summer baseball, but um I got to prove myself again in the fall because obviously it's going to be really difficult to manage both those things. And I really want pitching to be the focus for me too.
2: Can you hit dingers?
3: Yeah, a couple. I mean, I hit I hit a few in high school. I didn't hit any of this fall. I I mean, I'm not like it, as far as two ways go. I think Gunnar Hoagland is more of the home run hitter. I'm more. I'm I'm kind of looking towards gaps. I'm not extremely quick, but um, I I kind of just I'm good line drive hitter.
2: When you hit a home run. Do you pimp your home runs? A hundred percent
3: of them. Yes. They come few and far between. So if I know it's going over the fence, I'm I'm strutting. I'm not i I'm not running until I get at least two thirds of the way down to the first baseline.
2: That's my kind of guy right there. That's what it has to be. You have to pimp your home runs. You have to enjoy it. You have to watch, you have to admire. Okay, what's the better feeling? Hitting a home run or striking out the
3: side? Hitting a home run. I you know, and I I probably should have mentioned this when we were talking about pimping home runs. I think most, I think the most, the person I would try to mimic the most is probably like a Cole Zabowski kind of, not nothing special, not throwing the bat around, but he just kind of drops the bat on a super long left-handed swing, do something like that. But yeah, that's striking out the side. It's just not comparable to hitting a home run and seeing beer showers. Yeah, people I, cheer for people cheer for hitting. I I just kind of make this game more boring.
2: Well, my whole thing with home runs, if I hit one, because God knows I couldn't hit one, but if I did, I would spike it like a football. I wouldn't even care. I would spike my bat, stare at it. I might do a cartwheel going down the first baseline.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, as a pitcher, when a guy hits a home run off me and I've given up my fair share this year, I just I just kind of um, – I respect it a little bit. But um, if I was a hitter, I would do everything in my power to make sure the hitter knows that I hit the absolute crap out of that ball.
2: Why haven't pitchers started pimping strikeouts? <laughs>
3: I mean, there's a there's a pimp to it. There's a strut. You um you strike out the last guy. It, it's not so much when you strike out the last guy to come out come off the inning. It's more like the first or second out of the inning, you strike him out. You kind of strut around the mound. No, I think the farther you get away from the mound is the more you pimp a out in my category.
2: If somebody stormed the mound, could you handle yourself?
3: It depends who it is. If it was <laughs> if it was a Thomas Dillard like if it was a Thomas Dillard like. For someone someone of that size, I'm hoping Cooper Johnson's coming out to help me out. If not, then I mean, here's the thing. When I'm on the mound, I have I kind of I'm definitely a lot more different than I am off the field. So I think I'll try I would try my best, but I don't know how good I would do against anybody bigger than me.
2: Off the field I get the vibe that you're pretty chill. You're like the dude in the big Lebowski. You like to skateboard, you like to do your thing. What is Doug Nkezee like off the field?
3: Um I'm a fun. I'm a fun, just kind of relaxed guy. I like to. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. I kind of. I skateboard to all my classes. I um. I like to just hang out. I I know. Nothing. Nothing super special. Just a lot of a lot of um, a lot of vibes where it's where it's just um hanging out, hanging hanging out with all the freshmen of the dorm rooms, relaxing, eating food, doing doing anything to kind of unwind up once you're off the baseball field. Because if you're too tight off the if you're too tight off the baseball field and you kind of live on the baseball field it's no it's no way to live you got to be able to remove yourself from the game for a little bit once you get off the field
2: are you a gamer
3: a uh, little bit not as much as a couple of the other people that live that live with us a couple of the other players are ridiculous And know zach phillips is an absolute stud on the sticks i'll play Fortnite only for the fellowship only to get on there and um kind of roast and kind of dig at each other and talk about how crappy we all are. But we'll go on and I'll go on and we'll play online so we can all talk and hang out with each other when we're not together. But definitely I'm the weakest link on the Fortnite squad.
2: <laughs> as far as skateboarding is concerned, where did that start? And can you do some crazy stuff on a board?
3: Um, it all started when uh, I would say maybe my sixth grade year when I met a really good all some of my best friends still to this day is all my high school, high school friends. Um, a couple of, a couple of them all longboarded and we, none of us had our license at the time. I didn't get my license until a year after cause I'm so lazy. I didn't get my, my license till a year after my, um, the year I could get it, which was 16 in Florida. I didn't get it because I was just skateboarding around and get catching rides for my friends. But I, all of us just got into longboarding and we started skating around, and then eventually one of my closest friends, Ethan Anderson, he started um, skateboarding, and then I got it, and then I got into skateboarding with him. Not nearly as good as he is, but yeah, we just kind of all got into it together, and it's something that we all like bonded over.
2: Have you been one of those dudes who goes out to a skate park that's got the ramps and stuff? Can you knock that stuff out? Do you enjoy that?
3: Yes, a hundred percent. I know the end of the skate park in Oxford is pretty good. I've, I've been there a handful of times. I can't really do any. Uh, any fancy tricks but i can i can ride around in the bowl a little bit can you hit a rail um i can I, I for sure can okay so i can't do any flip trick like i can't i can't flip my board around but i can i can do a couple of tricks and i can do a couple of tricks in the bowl i can i can ride ramps and stuff and stuff like that
2: is that your release is that your main hobby that you like to get away from things
3: yeah anything of that nature i know like growing up in florida just had like in the summers, we, we would go out on lakes consistently. And it was a lot of, it was a lot of wakeboarding, a lot of, a lot of wake surfing, a lot of going to the beach and, and like trying to catch the small, catching the small Florida waves, uh, longboarding around doing a little bit of slacklining. Got into that from one of my friends, Juan Gonzalez. He, he lives in, a he, um, he lives in Orlando, but his dad lives in, um, Colorado. And uh, we got into slacklining, which has been one of one of the things I love to do. I try to do it at least as much as possible. I know baseball is my main priority, but you kind of get distracted sometimes because slacklining is extremely fun.
2: The dream for you sounds like jumping up in a VW van, have some boards, hit some ramps, some beaches, just travel around after baseball is over.
3: Yeah, that's a, that's 100%. And I know um, – I know a couple of my summer ball baseball coach, he called me Jeff Spicoli the whole summer. (laughs) He he thought the fast times of Richmond high guy was exactly me. So you
2: said you're different on the mound, but do you take some of that, that Zen to be able to go into a mound and not allow it to get too big? Has that helped you with success in any way?
3: Yeah. I mean, being a relaxed person, it it, it definitely helps you be a better baseball player in general, but there's definitely a switch when you step between the lines, you kind of, you lose sight of everything that, that's important except for what's, what's going on there, and I think that's what's really helped me is being able to flip the switch when I get on the mound. I think I get a little bit more intense, but also being able to fall back because a lot of people think when there's a big situation and there's the crowd's gets loud, uh, a lot of people think you rise to the occasion, but I think Coach Lafferty puts it the best. You kind of fall back into all of your training and to all of the different things. That you do that makes you makes you who you are, and I think relaxing on off days and being able to do a lot of things I do really helps me in those situations.
2: What was the celebration like on Sunday on the field?
3: Oh, we uh, Cooper Johnson got us together in the dugout right before it happened. He said, "Oh, well, we want to keep it classy. We're up by a good margin. We're not going to dogpile, but we're definitely going to blow it out on the um, on the victory lap around the field." So. When we all got on the field, we were all having a really good time. Of course, it, that by that point in the game, it was expected. But um, we were all extremely excited, and we ran out to the student section. That was genuinely one of the coolest one of the coolest moments of my life, being able to see how excited everyone else was, and like seeing what those what all those students were out there. Like it was just it was an amazing. Thing.
2: Yeah, because when you're playing a laugher like that in a championship game, if you want to call the Oxford Regional game on Sunday a championship game when you're playing and beating the crap out of a team, it can be pretty muted, the celebration, but you guys had at it. Y'all went out there, got drenched in the, uh, quote, water, but it was beer in those cups, all that kind of stuff. Y'all were able to get into it. I would assume that the the celebration kind of started pretty early in the dugout, though.
3: Yeah, I mean, we, we tried to keep it professional, but, like, most definitely, we um, it, it's still an achievement, regardless of the score and what happened. We were extremely proud to see to see what we did and to make a statement like that, I think, that really sent the message to a lot of people in the country that, hey, we're, we're hot and, you got, and we need to pay attention to this team. That's in that, the kind of baseball that we're playing right now. And we were still excited about that. And I think that gives us so much energy going into this weekend.
2: Something changed in Hoover, Doug. What changed? What happened to allow you all to flip the switch? You lose six of your last seven regular season games and now you're eight and two in your last ten. What changed for you guys?
3: Um, it was a switch. I think we were, I think a lot of us were tired of the way we were playing. I think we kind of lost steam towards the end of the year. And then we kind of, and then once we got Hoover, it's that place. It was nostalgic for a lot of the players that had already been there. And for all the guys, for all the new guys there, you get that new burst of energy, seeing Hoover and seeing the success. And I, and I think coach B said it really said it the best. I think we thrive as a tournament team, not really knowing what's going on. We can't look too far ahead or look too far in the past. We can't be hung up on the success because we have the game tomorrow and going deep into those tournaments. I think that's something for us that is really going to help us out, just knowing that we, we're a tournament team and I think that's what we're built for and not being, not being able to just kind of put the blinders on like horses and just kind of go go straight and do play our game and not worry about who we're playing next.
2: What's the confident level going into this weekend? You're two wins away from Omaha.
3: Oh, it's ridiculous. I think... I think we we love our opponent. I think we love who we're playing. I think it's we love the environment that we're about to be in. I think we thrive in that. That's when we hear that when we know that there's gonna be great crowds going into like um, Arkansas, we're extremely excited about that, that crowd. Not I don't think there's a really an ounce of nervousness in us, at least until we get out there. It's just the full full steam ahead and we're really excited knowing that our offense is rolling the way they are. So many guys are just putting their bats together and then our our bullpen is doing a fantastic job and then of course the starting rotation is doing a great job as well
2: what's the scout for arkansas you started against them you know what that team is so how do you attack them i know you're not going to give all your trade secrets away here but how do you attack them
3: yeah i mean i don't think it's any secret that they're they're a team that's super aggressive like they're going to swing the bat a ton very similar to texas a&m and a couple of the teams who play clemson was extremely similar they're a First ball, fastball hitting team, and they're going to go after it. So you you can't really back down to those bats, and you have to be able to fill up the strike zone. And they're going to get themselves out, and that's that's key for me and Etheridge and a couple in like Gunner as well, because we can get deep into games because they're going to get themselves out early. We're looking to hopefully get a lot of first, maybe second pitch outs from guys rolling over, grounding out, and maybe some fly outs, and that's just really the attack is just making pitches.
2: It's the first time since two thousand six oh seven since Ole Miss had two freshmen in its starting rotation. What's your relationship like with Gunner? How do y'all bounce off of each other?
3: Oh, it's fantastic. We've been playing together since we were 13 years old. We played on Team Florida together. We grew up going to the Hitting Academy together, which, of course, Rob Caravino is the main contact to Coach Bianco, who got us here. So we, we bonded over that, being able to get here together and going through the same same stuff together. So it's been... We we obviously love it together. Gunner's grown so much as a, as a person, not as not only as a player but as a person as well. We've kind of grown here together. I've become more more responsible. I've had to, I've gone through my hardships, not being on time to lift and things like that. So we bond being together and kind of figuring it out together.
2: Do y'all push each other as far as if you go out there and you stuff it for eight innings? Gunner comes back and goes, okay, I know what the bar is now.
3: Oh yeah, like earlier in the year. We there was a lot of me feeding off of Gunner and others. Gunner feeding off of me because he goes after me, but I, but it's just it's been it's healthy competition and I think that's one of the mantras of Ole Miss. I kind of had to become accustomed to it because really everything's a competition when you're with a group of, of like 18 to 21 year old guys in a locker room. Everything's a competition, so you feed off of each other. You want to be better than your teammates. You also want to succeed together. So we definitely feed off each other.
2: Well, last one. If I'd have told that senior Floridian skateboarder Doug Nicasey, in a couple of years' time you're going to be on the mound in a super regional game as an anchor, a co ace of the weekend rotation for Ole Miss, what would that kid have said?
3: I mean, he my my dad will say contrary. My dad has like undoubted belief in me, but I um I think I would have I would have either said you're crazy or just that you're out of your mind because I, at the time I. It was a totally different mentality for me. I just wanted to have a lot of fun, and I think I've gotten a lot more um, secure in the way that I play, and I've I've gotten more of an idea, and with the coaching staff, I've I've gotten more of an approach. And to put it this way, I think in high school I was more of an arm. I was just a guy that had the ability to do things, and I think now that I'm here, I have more of a brain, and I have a philosophy of how to attack people. So I mean, if if you'd asked me back then, I would have just I wouldn't have been able to comprehend with that that whole idea.
2: So safe to say that your freshman year at Ole Miss has exceeded any expectation you could have had.
3: That was, it's completely exceeded my expectations, I think. Coming into my freshman year, I knew there were so many people ahead of me, and I knew that I was thinking maybe I could get 10 innings, maybe I could go out there and I could do a little bit. I can help out a little bit in the back end of the bullpen, but just being able to do what I'm doing now, it's like completely blown up my expectations and um, I'm super happy and excited about what's in store.
2: He's old Miss freshman left-hander Doug Nikasey. He's the man in Oxford right now. Fans can't get enough. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Best of luck this weekend on the path to Omaha.
3: Thank you so much.
2: For all your pharmaceutical needs, Cheney's Pharmacy is the place to go. Cheney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally-owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. So give them a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online at Cheney's Pharmacy Dot com Cheney's Pharmacy much more than just a pharmacy that was Ole Miss freshman left-hander Doug Nikhazy this is Talk of Champions I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter he's Brian Scott Reppy at BS Rippy on Twitter what are you working on right now man what do you got prepared as you head off for Fayetteville
1: oh just some podcast stuff and then I'm trying to do a story on a. Uh Zach Phillips, it's a two part thing, kind of how he became the dugout guy. And because he mentioned he kind of got it some from Evan Anderson, the kid that did it in the 2014 team. Also, how he's kind of transformed himself to complete and total liability to kind of one hell of an insurance policy. I feel like that hasn't been talked about enough this year because people may not forget. But I feel like it's a little bit forgotten just how badly he struggled the first month of the year. And it's not really that common. You see guys turn it around within the confines of the same year. But he's been, like, a competent to good starter for the last, like, six weeks. And the stuff's never a problem with that kid. It's the location. And I was talking to him about this earlier in the week when we had the availability. It's like, he's just like, look, living at the knees, he's like, my mechanics got thrown off, my location was terrible, and, you know, if I can't afford to not locate because when I made mistakes up, they, they killed me. His thing has never been a stuff problem. I mean, he throws 91-92 with his left hand with a pretty good breaking ball. It's just location. So – Look, if he puts all of that together, he's got a chance to be a good pitcher. I feel like when your mechanics go and you don't know where the ball's going, your struggles look even worse than they might even actually be. And now that he's kind of got that down, if they were able to make it past this weekend, that's a hell of a luxury to have in Omaha to have a fourth guy that has at least extensive experience starting and can give you length.
2: Is almost going to Omaha. I can't believe I'm
1: saying this with this team, but I actually believe I think they're going to win this in three games.
2: See, I think if they don't go 2-0, and oh, they can't win the Sunday game or excuse me, Monday game.
1: I think Hoagland's a decent matchup for him. He's pitched pretty well against Arkansas in his two outings this year, and I don't know what it is about that lineup. Maybe it's because it has a lot of uh it has a lot of right handers. I, I, I don't really know. If you look at his numbers, he's pitched okay. And I don't think they're losing Doug Start, so I guess kind of like what you were saying. If they win on Friday, or I guess it'd be Saturday this week, like if they win Etheridge's Start, I would put a lot of wagering that they're going. But I think they got a decent shot on uh on, in that third game. So I think I'm gonna say Ole Miss in three, and I can't believe I'm saying that with the way this team was a month ago.
2: Yeah, I can't either. Arkansas against right-handed pitching three twenty four fourteen five twenty eight nine forty two against left-handed pitching two seventy one three sixty six. 438 802 they still hit lefties pretty well but there is a dip as far as how much they make their hay against right-handed pitching so Gunnar hoglins had success against arkansas left-handed pitching they're not quite what they are against right-handed pitching you're right maybe there's something to that maybe even if they lose on friday night uh, they're going to backdoor that series and go to omaha i don't know it's just so weird to be in this place that we're even talking about this you and i would sit in the press box and think man are we going to go on the road when they go to the regional or are we going to save it for maybe if they get to a super knowing that they're probably not coming out of that now, whoever they line up against doesn't matter. We're predicting them to make a run. That's how well and confident they're playing right now.
1: Yeah. I I don't understand this team at all. It is so, so confusing because literally three weeks ago, you're talking about they're definitely done. It's literally just a matter of innings outs and games before they're put out of their misery. Is there going to be a coaching change? And three weeks later, it's like we're living in an entirely different world. And, like, if you would have looked at it, the way the team, like, has played for the entire of the year, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, compared to some other teams Manco's had, this is the one that has, like, the horses or the firepower to get to Omaha. But they're playing really well. And damn, they got a tailor-made draw. I mean, this the, the draw they got after getting a couple of kind of crappy ones over the last half decade or so was perfect. I'll give them credit because they play well, but they that regional was a bit of a cakewalk. And then you get paired with a team that's really, really good, but it's, for whatever reason, a team that Ole Miss has a lot of success against. So it's crazy. I, I This year has been so confusing, and it's kind of been entertaining because it's, there's always something going on with this group. But this team has made no sense at all to me.
2: I have no clue what this team is. They're about to be playing in a series for Omaha, and I have absolutely no idea what this team is. All I know is they're playing their best baseball, they have belief, and it's hard to bet against them at this point. People overplay
1: the mindset thing, but what was the knock on Bianco's teams in the biggest moments over the last, I mean, now that you kind of gathered a 16, 17-year sample size, is that they play tight, and this team has done the exact opposite, and we were talking about this in the press box there, and I I don't think this has been harped on enough, I think it starts with Mike, like he's acted different. He's been a lot more laid back in like press conferences and stuff. I mean, hell, he was cracking a joke about his general studies degree from LSU after they lost to Arkansas in the SEC tournament. When has that
2: ever happened? Before, no, Mike's you know, feeling it. himself. He's feeling himself right now.
1: Ole Miss Sports Productions put out some video after they beat Clemson to get to the championship day or whatever. He was like, look, I don't know. what's." He's talking to them in right field or left field, whatever. And he was like, I don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow, but it's going to be fun. We're going to enjoy this, and we're going to have fun. And I don't know what his message was when they went 2-0 and through the regional last year before Black Monday, but I bet he didn't say that. And so I think there's something to that because they're just kind of showing up, believing that they're going to kill anybody, everybody. And that was definitely not the case a year ago. I mean, you you kind of saw that I wasn't there for the end of that, but you saw it. They, they got really tight, and I, I don't see this team in the biggest moment, even if it happens in a Super this year. I don't see them doing that when when if they get in a tight game or a high leverage situation with the way they kind of carry themselves. I don't really see them getting tightened up. I don't know, do
2: you think so? I don't think they're going to play tight. They hadn't played tight in their last ten games and they're eight and two. I mean they're a completely different team. You can't bet against them. they're playing with confidence, they're playing with belief. They've bucked the trend. This is not the team that's going to fold up. they're going to play as hard as they can. They believe that when they line up, they're better than the team they're going up against. I think Cooper Johnson has really taken on a leadership role. There's just so much to like about this team right now. And more than anything else, they're pitching it really well, pitching it better than arguably anybody left in the tournament. And that's saying a lot. But right now, they're pitching that way. It's hard to get runs against this team. And when you do, it's usually in mop-up duty, like Jacksonville State scored four runs. Yeah, well, look who it came against. Will Etheridge stuffed it against them. Doug Nikhazy stuffed it against them. Gunnar Hoglund settled in. He only needed a little bit to get ready, but he settled in, and once he did, they didn't do much against him, so it's nuts. I have no clue how this team did this. I've been asking every player I asked Doug McKsey, you heard him <laughs> say it. None of them can say it. They, uh, just a switch flip. Well, what the hell does that mean?
1: Yeah, like what, that's what I can't get. they're like, yeah, we don't know when or what had happened, but a switch flip. I'm just like, what does that exactly mean what what did y'all all go like out to eat or like i don't understand like I don't understand when or what happened I, I don't get it.
2: I'll never understand it, but hey. Better be covering this kind of baseball than what we were covering a month ago. I'll just say. Yeah, because it was like covering a
1: team that knew its fate.
2: Yeah, it was covering a funeral. That was what it felt like. It truly felt like covering a funeral. Vibes totally different. He's Brian Scott Rippey at BS Rippy on Twitter. You can check his stuff out on Super Talk Mississippi. He talks, he writes, does all the stuff for Super Talk. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Check me out on the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, to of 247 Sports. Rippey and I are both going to Fayetteville this weekend maybe omas will punch its ticket to omaha if you're not calling for it well you're the dumb one thanks man i appreciate it we'll talk again
0: sounds good